0: Hello and welcome back to A Positive Climate, the uplifting podcast about the solutions to climate change. We had a big week during our last episode, we had our first ever pitch fest, but now sadly, we're back for our final episode of 2022.
1: Yeah, it's our big wrap-up episode, Nick, 2022 Wrapped. Mm. Um, For those of you who use Spotify, I guess even if you don't use it, you see it on Instagram everywhere because everyone likes to post their Spotify Wrapped every year. Yeah. I'm sure your Wrapped is far cooler than mine, Nick, um, because my taste...
0: It's a bit more niche. Yeah, 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 far less Taylor Swift, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) No, it's just more like just Beyonce, but anyway.
0: Okay, she did release a new album, I knew that. Exactly, yeah.
1: Anyway, so I guess this is our nod to the Spotify Wrapped trying to do I guess a wrap of the whole year and the highlights that we've seen not just in the podcast but I guess more broadly also in the industry.
0: Yeah we debated doing it again it was actually one of our favourite episodes or top rating episodes from last year so the people have spoken. Um, there'll be some segments similar to last year and some new ones too so we'll be covering the big trends and themes that emerged this year in the world of climate technology solutions and policy. We'll be having the segment where we blow our sound effects budget on Big, big Predictions. predictions. We'll be covering the most interesting deals of the year, the kookiest startups that we've heard about this year, our favourite moments of the year, and lastly, what we're looking forward to next season. So, um, yeah, let's see how we go.
1: But before we get into all that kind of fun, I guess we've got a few thank yous to send out. This podcast, yes, you hear from Nick and I every fortnight and in every episode, but there's actually a lot of people behind the scenes that make it happen. So first to our awesome producer, Magic Mark Mark Spencer. We couldn't do this without you and your positivity. Thank you for all your last minute late-night edits. Uh, we always appreciate them. And I guess next to all our awesome guests from this season, One Small Step, Cars Guide, PV Industries, Hasata, UNSW, Hippie Hype, Nori, and the Energy Lab cohort, we've loved having all of you on, and it's been so amazing to hear all of their stories, but also to hear from our listeners about how much you've enjoyed it. And lastly, to the most important people, you... The people who are listening, mm. hit a few milestones this year, which I don't think we expected. You know. And so I think we've been really chuffed, Nick, just to see how well it's gone this year, but also... Not just to see in the charts how we're climbing up, yep. um, but also you know to keep getting those kind of emails from you with suggestions or just thoughts that you've had after you've listened to something. It actually really warms my heart when I get an email from someone who says they've listened to something and they changed their life somehow or they've thought of something that they wanted to let us know about. So please do that. We actually really appreciate hearing from you.
0: Yeah, and, and the reverse has been interesting too, Alex. I thought like a few startups have come back to us that have been on the show and said, oh, we actually had an investor listen to the show and reach out. And they're now in, in dialogues about investing in their latest rounds. So Hmm. that on both sides, I think, makes us happy. Uh, But our season next year, it's going to be all startups, all Australian, all the time. It's going to be the Australian startup season, um, and really don't want you to miss that. So if you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, you can also sign up to our newsletter, our website, or follow us on the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter, so you don't miss it. Last thing before we get into the episode, the music that you hear. In the intro which i really love and people have also come in and said that they love that too was actually composed by a late friend of mine. His name is Nick Weaver. Um, He passed away, um, but actually some of his really good mates got together and finished his album um, of all the songs that he'd been recording prior to his passing. So that actually just came out um, in the last week or so. So I just wanted to give him a shout-out. If you like our music on this, you might like the album, so go and find Nick Weaver.
1: Yeah, it's a really amazing project, and I think it just speaks to how talented that Nick was. I don't know that if you or I... Suddenly pass away, Nick, that someone that our friends will probably put together the bloopers from our podcast. And it definitely won't be as talented or to the level that Nick's music was. So no
0: one will listen to that.
1: Um it's a really lovely project. But let's get on with the episode. So I guess introducing our guests this week. Us.
0: Okay, Alex, the first segment of today's episode. Is the big themes of the year. We're in wrap-up mode, and I'm just going to start with our first theme, which I've called "The Electric Bus is Leaving the Station, and you best get on."
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so, look, there's a lot of change that's occurred in the last few years. Um, you know, we've had COVID, um, we've had work from home. Neighbours got cancelled. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think uh, it I got guess... <laughs> cancelled. I think they just wrapped it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. Yeah, it wasn't cancel culture. Wasn't a yeah. play, but it did finish <laughs> this year. More importantly, a lot has changed in the state of climate in the public conscience and for governments and for policy. So I thought we should just quickly pause, celebrate for a second that the dialogue has kind of moved on just incrementally away from where we're actually now debating the solutions a bit more. We're not debating anymore whether climate change is real. And not only that, something that you and I would be most in agreement with, there's a level above that, which is sort of like acknowledgement that... For those countries that go hard and go early, the economic opportunity of the transition is just it's just massive. And then the flip side of that is for those that don't get on board, uh, you could get left in the bus, not in the dust, <laughs> or you could get left. <laughs> or you, you miss could miss the bus. <laughs> yeah, it's it almost worse to get left in the back of the bus, but you, you could miss the bus. So yeah, and that's the same sort of framing that led us to start careers in the sector and start this podcast. So
1: Yeah, and I guess on a similar theme to that, um, Nick, I guess there's been a lot of international movements this year in terms of people getting on the bus Mm. um, or people actually going all in on climate change. And so we've seen, you know, lots of kind of um, emission reduction targets get set, lots of net zero by 2050s get legislated. But I guess, you know, looking at kind of some specific examples, you know, the German government has come out with various packages now to look at funding both renewable projects, but all kinds of decarbonisation technologies. And I think the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict has really highlighted to both Europe and the UK Mm. just how reliant they are on, you know, particular energy partners and how much, you know, looking to the future they want to diversify where that energy comes from.
0: Yeah, and they'd already been going down that path for the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so and it's good to see it as sort of, there's debate in that country about their policy, but they've sort of doubled down and especially ag- agitated by the latest Russia-Ukraine conflict.
1: And also, like, so the UK government has now come out with contracts for difference. So effectively, that is where they're looking to underwrite revenue. So effectively guaranteeing like a certain level of revenue for a project to then encourage developers to actually go and construct renewables or to construct various kind of projects that are, you know, given that confidence to take the step forward. The Japanese government has a massive, you know, billion dollar green innovation fund where they're looking to actually deploy projects overseas and look at how they can be importing energy um, to meet their needs. Mm. But the biggest thing by far.
0: Yeah, the big one.
1: The US Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA. What do you think of the name? It's a terrible name. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay good policy crappy name firstly
1: it's a terrible acronym really though this is a big piece of legislation that actually goes to a lot of different parts of the u.s and and is targeted at trying to manage their economy and almost like reindustrialize the u.s economy kind of future proofing their whole country going forward but what it does have is a bunch of schemes in it that are actually looking at how they can reach their targets and how they can decarbonize And they're massive, like effectively so many of them are basically signing up the US, which is, you know, a massive global economic player.
0: 320 million people. Biggest economy in the world. To
1: effectively what is, some in some instances, like uncapped liabilities to say, like, we are going all in. Mm. This is like an arms race. We're in. We're just, you know, we're going full pelt at decarbonisation.
0: What are some of the key policies, though?
1: Well, to give you a flavour, it's sort of like not, there's a package for $9 billion that's just looking at home energy rebates. So to help people electrify their home appliances but also to help you put like energy efficiency measures in. Okay. There's $10 billion in investment tax credits to help establish new manufacturing facilities. So actually trying to bring manufacturing back to the US for things like electric vehicles or wind turbines and solar panels. Mm-hmm. There's $20 billion in packages to support agriculture and how agriculture can transition, and have much more kind of climate smart practices. And the big one in my space is there is a whole scheme that basically allows for green hydrogen to be subsidised and effectively make it competitive with incumbent fuels, which is like a massive game changer in the hydrogen sector. Wow.
0: Wow. Like From what I've read and you know, speaking to you, it sounds like they've covered the whole field of consumer incentives, uh, possibly some grants to help kind of um, offset the green premium in certain parts of the economy to kind of accelerate that. I think they're doing like um, Jigger Shah, who's a, I'm a fanboy of from his podcasting uh, days, uh, he's got this huge green loan program. So it sounds like they've absolutely done everything they can and gone all in on the green transition. My question to you... How should we think about that? Like, what are the implications of this for the global economy and for us in Australia, just thinking selfishly?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, on the positive side, it's like, firstly, it's like an amazing move by the US and in some ways will only have, you know, knock-on effects to the whole kind of global economy that will be positive in terms of, you know, they're going to be able to push, you know, technologies down the cost curve a lot faster. They're going to be, you know, scaling up manufacturing, And so in some ways it will have all these positive flow-on effects that, you know, will actually impact everyone, hopefully. From an Australian perspective in particular, like if they are going to bring manufacturing back and they're going to be scaling up all these kinds of technologies that they're going to need for the transition, Australia is a place that effectively has all the minerals and the ingredients you need to manufacture those components. So Mm. from Australia there's a big opportunity around what can we export to them to allow them to use the minerals and the raw materials that we have to make those things that we're going to need. But I guess the thing on the flip side that we have to keep in mind is if the U.S. is going all in, and you know we've already seen supply chains get crunched this year, we've already seen you know everyone's got skill shortages, no one can recruit people, and so if the U.S. go all in, and if other big economies go all in on effectively what becomes like a race to decarbonize, then you've got to think about how do we play in that in for Australia being this little island country, um, and how do we make sure that we don't get left behind or we don't miss the bus, like you're saying, Nick.
0: <laughs> Thank you for bringing back my analogy. <laughs> I thought I was left in the dust, uh, but it's it's back, and I'm happy. It's fascinating because we probably want to do two things: like we want to be the exporter of almost first resort for the global economy, especially the US. That's that's great, but we also want to be creating our own high value add products here as well. And there's an opportunity to be gained there. And we're going to talk about that a bit more later when we talk about what the startups in the sp- in the sector are up to. But an Australian economy. We've always been good at digging stuff out of the ground. We'll always be good at that, to be able to secure our own supply chain, to be able to capture more of that economic incentive for Australian companies to the world more than just the US. I think we need to kind of solve that. Is that a worthy segue to kind of just discuss what are we doing here?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and I guess just before I get to that, one thing I just want to point out though is how amazing it is that we're having a conversation about what could be a race to decarbonise and, you know, how do we protect ourselves against that? Like I think that that in itself is an amazing development. I'm not sure that 12 months ago... That was the conversation that you or I would have had. I think it was more about, you know, what do we need and what's the pathway and what's the roadmap and how do we get there and, you know, what are the targets? Whereas I think that conversation has flipped really quickly. And I think that's actually a really positive thing to acknowledge.
0: I completely agree. So, and if we think about what's happening here, we've now got a legislated 43% emissions reduction target. By
1: 2030, they got legislated this year. Uh, We've also got a net zero target now by 2050. Hmm. And whilst certainly for me, 2030 and 2050 seem like a long time, Away, when you actually break it down, twenty thirty is only eighty six months away, which I know sounds crazy. <laughs> <That's specific. laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, That's really, I, I'm imagining you waking up every morning when it hits the first of the month and getting your big red texter <laughs> on your physical calendar of I don't know what would be on your calendar, Alex, but um, like the, the um, latest calendar of the Brisbane Broncos, and then you kind of cross, <laughs> then you kind of cross off. Yeah, new, a new month has passed. We're down to eighty five. Yeah, but it's not it that at least long. be the
1: Brisbane Lions, not the Brisbane
0: Broncos, but anyway. yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's not that far away.
1: No, it's not that far away. And yeah, 86 months sounds like a stupid metric, but it's not that far away. And, you know, you and I work in this sector, Nick, like things take time. And as much as you think, you know, that, oh, you know, you'll start a project today and you'll be able to reach financial close in six or 12 months. And then you'll have, you know, a battery on the ground in 12 months. Like that's just not the case. Like things take time. There's always things that go wrong. Supply chains at the moment are so crunched that even if you place an order today for a battery, you know, you may not get it for 12 or 18 months or more. I think keeping in perspective that whilst these dates seem like a long time away, actually the task in front of us is really enormous, but also has a whole lot of opportunity that's going to come with it.
0: Yeah. And I kind of want to draw a few points together here when I kind of conclude this, projects take a lot of time. But so do corporates in kind of re-engineering what their entire strategies are. This is like a profound change in how to respond to this challenge. There are companies that have already been there. There's companies in the middle and they're kind of on, on the way. But there's a whole other suite of companies who have shareholders that they have to answer to that are thinking like, what, what are you going to do here? And when you and I speak to our friends that are in some of the consultancies who are advising Corporate Australia, there's a lot of confusion out there. And I think, uh, you know, part of that is the reason why we're seeing this abject increase in greenwashing that's going on because it's sort of whether it's a delay tactic in reality we can debate that but it's certainly like a don't look over here now because it they're actually trying to go through Well, how on earth do we actually do this there are some bad players out there okay um but you know it's sort of i think corporate australia thinks that they understand how momentous the challenge is they're getting on with it and we'll see in the next few years now that we have certainty in policies and government policies what actually needs to be done and i think we'll talk about it later the startups will only benefit that in terms of them having to be customers of their technology
1: yeah yeah and certainly like it is on the top of every board agenda now of like how do you fit into this target and so yeah i think that's only a positive thing
0: we could debate what the number is too you know it should it be 43 should it be 70 but i think it's a strong start and the states always go a bit harder than the federal government and they continue to do kind of go out in front of their skis like we saw with the Victorian government only yesterday. But I think it's a certainty that matters more than the number at this stage.
1: Yeah. And so I guess so. at a macro level, you know, lots happening internationally, lots happening here in Australia as well. When we look at corporates, you know, they're definitely starting to look at this more as a serious opportunity and working out their own ways to map this transition out. But Nick, what about global capital? What's sort of happening with capital and funds and funding in this space.
0: Well, look, um, 2021 and start of 2022, before that kind of financial slowdown, saw just absolute records in new climate tech funds getting raised. Just absolutely ridiculous dry powder sitting out on the sidelines, looking to invest in climate tech, both climate experts and kind of generalist funds. I think that's been that's been massive. We've also seen the rise of like philanthropic activities. So. Patagonia vouched to kind of effectively give away all the future profit of their ongoing business to climate activities. The Lululemon founder did the same thing. It's not just restricted to those that sell active wear. Close to the home, uh, Mike Canbrook set up Boundless, that a few of our friends of the show kind of work there, and they're giving um, $500 million to non-profit activities all across the climate space, and they've initially really targeted electric vehicles that we'll be talking about a bit later. We'll see this in the discussion we t- where we take this, but there's lots of funding out there for australian startups to monopolize on this opportunity there's probably more funding than investable opportunities and so that's what makes it so exciting
1: yeah and so i guess moving away from you know government's corporates philanthropy and funding let's talk about startups our favorite topic
0: yeah we love startups
1: so what are some of the themes we've been seeing in startups this year
0: okay i'd say an evolving theme is that of Australian startups exporting overseas. Okay. I think it's really important, right? We've got Zumo e-bikes. I'll mainly, I'll mainly focus on people we've had on our show because they're in our portfolio, <laughs> quote-unquote. Zumo, they've got their bikes in New York and London and all over the world. We've got FarmBot. There was an early stage company that's just on the Energy Lab episode. They've got 40 staff and they're already exporting to the U.S., Infravision that are doing the drones yeah, they
1: string the power lines
0: they've just done a big trial and project with you know the huge american utility pga okay
1: so they can string power lines overseas now
0: yep stringing power lines overseas yeah awesome you know 5b has projects in panama we've got great wrap that have now just launched their compostable cling wrap in the in the us so i think this is like Like we're just at the start of this iceberg of Australian startups making it overseas.
1: And Great Wrap also launched their catering wrap this year. I think in terms of you know expanding just from the resi kind of wrap that we we talked about on the episode, but actually looking into have like more like industrial applications of the wrap now, which is super exciting.
0: Yeah, it is. And, And I think one reason why, like a nuanced reason, why Australian startups in clean tech and climate tech, exporting overseas is so important is that we're sort of at a disadvantage over here. You reference the fact where we live on an island. Yeah,
1: it's a beautiful um, but if, island, but yeah. <laughs>
0: beautiful island. But if I'm a founder in the US, I'm raising capital, and my investor asks me, oh, what's your addressable market? And I get to say, oh, have, um, 320 million people, Yeah, before I even have to think about going overseas. If I'm in Europe, I get whatever it is to say the same thing, 700 million people. If we're down here, we get to say $25 million. And up until now...
1: 25 million people. Been,
0: people. People, people, <laughs> sorry. Um, if, I've been now, if, if, if I'm an investor and I have been, you sort of, you get pitched the idea that your TAM or your addressable market is much bigger than that. We could export globally, but we're sort of at a disadvantage because it was a bit harder to believe and founders get a bit hamstrung by that, but just these successes where it's actually real, that not just software but hardware can be exported to the world, I think it's kind of creating a sort of positive feedback loop on valuations here, the ability to raise capital here and the willingness for investors to kind of pile in. So I think it's like a huge change in the market dynamics.
1: I guess the other theme that I was going to call out, which you know you're you talking about exporting the tech, my theme that I've seen is actually people looking to have manufacturing back onshore in Australia.
0: Yeah, 100. That's big.
1: And it's not necessarily doing manufacturing in the same way that we've done it previously. I think a lot of it's looking at how we can do like what they call advanced manufacturing or you know quite smart manufacturing. But some examples of that are we saw, you know, Vow. So they're the guys that make the lab-grown uh, meat, which is. Very, you know, kind of Willy Wonka, you know, futuristic stuff. But I'm super keen to try it when you can buy it.
0: Are you going to try it before it's legal?
1: Oh well, I would have totally done that if they let us have it on the episode. But But anyway, the Vow guys have recently opened a manufacturing facility in Sydney. And one thing I did want to call out when I was looking at that was they actually now employ 60 people, which I think is phenomenal for you know effectively a startup in Australia. I think it also just goes to, yes, you can bring manufacturing back here, but you can also be a really important employer in Australia as well.
0: Alex, uh, did so you chicken out there by um, referring to what you had on the, uh, the notes <laughs> here by calling them the people that work at Vowsers?
1: Val, yeah, that's that's what they call them, the Vowsers.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I
1: feel like you have to say it with a specific sort of accent.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Vowsers. What about
0: the sundrivers? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the other one was Sundrive. So they, uh, if you remember, so I'm not sure if we've talked about Sundrive before. I'm sure we have, though, but... Mm. SunDrive hold the record for them creating the most efficient solar cell in the world. And so they actually have a technology that if you put it into solar panels would be the most efficient kind of tech you can buy on the market. And they announced, I think only just a week or so ago, that they had closed around um, and they plan to basically use that to set up a manufacturing facility to produce their copper-based solar cells in
0: Australia as well. Which is exciting. It's not just the efficiency is one thing, but they've got the double whammy of it's not just efficient, but it's also replacing silver, which is expensive and not in great supply with copper, which is awesome. Yep.
1: Uh, And the last example I had was 5B Solar, who, you know, we had Chris McGrath on um, and they have their fantastic founder story. And if you haven't heard it, I definitely recommend and go and listen to that episode. But they also just closed around earlier this year and they also received some grant funding to automate the manufacturing of their prefabricated Maverick solar panels that can be, you know, rapidly deployed and, you know, be kind of um, deployed in a much faster and safer manner than other kind of solar panels.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, SunDrive 5B taking homegrown manufactured solar to the world, just like we've done before with our technology. So that's exciting. It's probably worth wrapping up on the theme section, which is almost like a concluding statement, which is because of everything we've said, we've got government targets now, we've got more capital, we've got bigger and more believable addressable markets, we've got much more consumer demands for green quote-unquote products. What it actually has led to is startup funding rounds are just getting bigger in Australia for climate tech companies, and it's awesome to see. Like, I'm just going to rattle off a few, you know. Jet Charge, $30 million for their um, electric vehicle charging company. AMSL that we've had on before, Electric Air Taxi, $23 million. SunDrive, you just mentioned, $21 million. Hisata, Hydrogen, over 40. Zumo, e-bikes, they've raised now in total of $100 million. Uh, Source Water, not an Australian company, but some Australians in the exec team, they just raised $150 million to scale their solar panel that creates clean drinking water. a project that i worked on to help give them funding when i was at arena they just raised 20 million dollars and what do they do Nick? they're an autonomous electric vehicle company they used to have an electric skateboard i don't know how they're marketing at the moment but they've effectively got some really senior ex-execs from gm julian broadband that's come back to create this kind of a software enabled platform to help drive the future you know autonomy of the electric vehicle industry which is fantastic and hey great rap as well 24 million dollars uh what does it mean? What do we think it means? I just think it's fantastic that I don't think any of those were software companies. So much of the venture capital in Australia and to date, um, that they, they love software. It's easily iterable. You can scale it quite quickly. You can A, B test it. It's not as binary as hardware. But... This is deep tech and they're all getting funded um, and it's fantastic and so I think that will be the key theme to watch out on in the next few years to see how they raise that money, how they spend that money and when their next raises are. So I have a lot of excitement about the local climate tech scene.
1: I'm Ali Datto.
0: And I'm Cameron Datto.
1: And together, we host the podcast Separate Bathrooms. Every episode, we're joined by experts and couples to chat all things relationships. Your ability to
0: read me outside of me, I think, is powerful. I'm a great overthinker. I'm very good at overthinking. You are. You're my shortcut to get back to that start and realise where I needed to be.
1: Listen to Separate Bathrooms wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so moving from startups and themes that we've seen in startups to Nick last year, we made some big predictions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess we thought we would do a bit of a check-in because uh, you know, you should be held accountable for the things you you say. And yep. so
0: as, as should you. Yep.
1: <laughs> we made some big <laughs> predictions and so we thought we would check in on how we think they're going and if we think that they're still true. So Nick last year, you said yes, in 2035, you think that in terms of like the amount of electricity that we'll create in Australia, we will be at 800% (laughs) of demand. So renewables will be at 800%.
0: Yeah. And just recapping what I meant there, I think we'll get to 100%. I think we'll go beyond that because with all that excess renewable electricity from 100 to 800, we'll be creating hydrogen. We'll be replacing sort of things like heat and making it electrified. Um, we'll be sending it through transmission lines up to Singapore um, with projects like Sun Cable. That's the explanation. But i got to say, Alex, I feel good about this
1: one. <laughs> You're backing it?
0: Yeah, I'm backing it. So, just to give you some evidence, in September in Australia, we hit on a particular day 63% of renewables across the national electricity market already. Okay. AMO is forecasting that we'll get to 83% by 2030 which is five years before we... We've got five years to go from 83 to 800. Well, we'll come back to that. But I thought one thing that was quite interesting is that on a day, again in September, South Australia, just from wind, produced 146% of their state's demand, i.e. they were already sending the excess 46% to other states. So while I think there's a lot of work to be done to get to the 800%, uh, we've got to work out how to use excess generation, hydrogen electrolyzers actual- need to come down in cost. I feel good about this, this prediction, and I've got 13 years until you can hold me accountable. <laughs> so, <laughs> in season 30 of a positive climate, we'll uh, check back you in. Know, we'll check back in.
1: No, I think that's right though. I think like. We are kind of tracking towards that. And you want to hope that we do hit that. I think if we don't hit that, we might be in a bit of trouble. Yeah. But I guess just to clarify, though, so the reason we need to be at more than 100%, which sounds a bit weird, is that you're trying to bank on this export opportunity.
0: Huge export opportunity for reasons that you love, which would be hydrogen. Reasons that Mike Cannon Brooks loves, which is projects like Sun Cable, we can send it overseas. And so it's just more about, again, the economic opportunity of monetizing our sunshine and low-cost renewables. So I feel good. All
1: right, you're backing we it in. Are going to give them
0: rank ratings? Yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: you said you're backing it in. Is it 100% in? Like yeah. you all in on that <laughs> one?
0: Uh, I feel better about the next one.
1: Okay, well, let's go to that. So last year you also said by 2025 of all the vehicles sold in Australia, a third will be electric.
0: Mm. What do you think about that, Alex? Do you think I'm, I'm on the right I'm
1: wondering if it path? was ambitious enough.
0: Yet well, hey, there we go. A positive climate. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. So the current stats, Electric Vehicle Council in Australia, they, they just released the uptake stats. If you just look at the number, it doesn't make you that excited. 3.39% of vehicles sold this year were electric. You know, that compares to Germany, 26%. So, hey, we know this. We've got a long way to go, but I still feel good about this prediction. And the reasons why, do you, to, do you want to prompt me?
1: Why? Why is that, Nick? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think both from stats that are out there and anecdotal evidence, talking to our friends and people in our, you know, circle, the on-the-ground reality is that people want them. Yeah, yeah. People really want them now, and more than what's available. Like it turns out, the electric vehicle did not cancel the weekend. <laughs> you know, the NRMA just came out with a report that said forty-three percent of drivers in the New South Wales and the ACT are considering buying the next three and five years and I think the only thing that'll put challenge to this forecast is whether you can get your hands on them yeah like that seems to be the biggest problem can you get them now and when can you get them and do we have enough models
1: I went to a work event last night and there was a bunch of people standing around and they were all this is like, just to show you like how much people are thinking about this, everyone was talking about how they wanted to get an EV and, you know, what were the timelines for this brand versus this brand? And, you know, how could you get one now? And can you go on car sales and get one secondhand? And like, so it just goes to show you that like, if it's in like social circle conversations, it's clearly picking up a bit. And I think certainly I had the pleasure of test driving Lexus sponsored this season. So I had the pleasure of Test driving the new uh, fully electric Lexus that is about to hit the country, mm-hmm. it's a great car. But the thing that I really found super fascinating was just like the social culture that goes around charging at the moment. Like, okay, you kind of rock up to a charger, and everyone is just so interested, and people like are coming, You're a rock yeah, star. like, like, yeah. yeah, people come over and they're like, oh, what's this car? I want to know about it, and how long have you had it for? It's like being a
0: podcast host, <laughs> just like everyone wants to speak to you. <laughs>
1: But it's just this weird weird social phenomenon where suddenly everyone has something in common and so, you know, usually like you go to the petrol station, no one talks to you at the petrol bowser. Everyone, (laughs) it would be weird if they did, Um, but everyone at an EV charger is suddenly your best mate.
0: Yeah, an old colleague of mine also found that he got the um, Ionic 5 and just felt like it sounded like people were just coming up to him this trick, oh, what? Well, what, what is that? You know, what what brand? What what car is that? And just sort of, yeah, you almost become very popular by owning an EV.
1: <laughs> the best, if I can just share it, the best experience I had was we had this car for the weekend and we found on PlugShare, which is an app you can use to find where chargers are, which is actually a really cute app as well because um, you go. Oh, it's the, cute. The, okay. you, Because this goes to the whole social culture. You go on yeah. and um, you can look at like where a charger is near you and then you can click on it and people have comments. And so sometimes people are commenting like, you know, yes, this charger works really well or this, you know, unfortunately it's in, uh, it's out for maintenance or like they, they update the community, you know. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is people really nicely, like if they, gone to a charger and they're on they'll comment and say like i've just plugged in i'll be here for 20 minutes uh ducked over to get a coffee you know we'll be back shortly so that when you rock up and you see a car there you know like how long it's going to be and how long you have to wait Mm. we're trying to find a charger and we found a local cafe near Bundanoon in new south wales who is just like a local guy who runs a cafe who's just really nicely put a charger in so that you can go there have a coffee and charge your car yeah okay and so we rocked up And there were these two old blokes sitting out the front who I think must go there like every Sunday to have a coffee and a weekly yarn. And they were just so confused and blown away. Like, firstly, I think they were like, why are you here? But secondly, they were just sort of like, what is this car? Like, how does it work? Like, and they had so many questions. And so we ended up just sitting there having a coffee with them and answering all their questions about, do you get range anxiety? Where do you charge it? Like, does it matter? Like.
0: (laughs) And yeah. so I
1: think, yeah, people are just very keen to understand them and want to know, which, yeah, which is sort of a fascinating experience.
0: You heard it here first. If you want to make more friends, don't bother with meetup.com. Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> just get an <get> EV <laughs> <laughs> and go on to PlugShare. <laughs> Find some like-minded individuals. <laughs> but, look, ha- I think we need to talk about how this resolve itself, you know, the, the disconnect between supply and demand. And, and I think it's really time. Yeah, we need to give it time um, because up until only – 12 months ago, we were really struggling with our whole country's policies, et cetera. We didn't have as many charges. I think, you know, there's evolving business models out there like Boundless just invested in uh, the good car company that's helping get more second-hand vehicles uh, um, out there, uh, increase that supply from overseas. But I think, look the elephant in the room is policies. It's on the sexiest topic, but you know, should there be a fuel efficiency standard that gets introduced, we'll stop being the dumping ground of petrol vehicles and we'll have the same thing play out which happened in the early days of the EV industry here, which is until we had charges, the OEMs, the manufacturers, didn't want to bring their cars. They didn't see that we were a mature market and in the same way we're an immature market without fuel efficiency standards and we're a bit of a dumping ground. So I'm confident that should some of those things happen, will go from 3.39%, even if you apply, Alex, the KGAR, the growth rate of the 65% growth that we've had in the last year through to 2025, you pretty much get to 25%. So I'm calling this a lock.
1: Okay, 100%. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on, your, your predictions, it can't all be about my potential failures. Alex. What did I say? <laughs> you said, by 2030, there will be a decent export market for hydrogen.
1: Yeah. We'll define decent, really.
0: <laughs> hey, it was your call, mate. Um...
1: <laughs> uh, I think there are certain people that would disagree with this.
0: Saul Griffiths.
1: If Saul Griffiths is yeah. listening, he would tell me I'm wrong. Well, he can come on the podcast. We'll debate it. But I do think like, in, it actually kind of connects quite nicely with your first prediction, Nick, because I guess if you're banking on the fact that we can actually get above 100% renewables, then effectively we're going to need a way to export that extra piece of renewables. And either you do that through a cable like Sun Cable to Singapore or to other countries, or you do it through some other kind of medium, which could be hydrogen or it could be making hydrogen and then turning it into something like ammonia or methanol or some other kind of like carrier to effectively get that energy to an export economy. So I think that... Given also like all the international moves that we were talking about at the start, like you know people like the UK and Europe looking to actually import a heap of their energy, like they're running global auctions now to try and get people to bid in to supply hydrogen or derivatives of hydrogen in that time frame. You've also got Japan and Korea making a whole lot of moves also to import energy. So I think that there's enough pull from the offtake sector or the people who want to use this product, like the customers, That we will be able to have that kind of decent export market by 2030.
0: Okay, so you're going to lock this one because I don't know if the next one's a lock, Alex. So we've got to pick one. (laughs) I'll lock this one. I'm
1: not sure about
0: the next one. Okay, should we move to that, Alex McIntosh? You also said, predicted a big prediction that half the meat we will eat by 2025. I think you said protein actually. Half the protein we eat by 2025 will be carbon neutral.
1: Yeah. Well. Like there's been a few movements in this space. Like we talked about yep. bowel before, so there's been a lot of movement in like lab-grown meat, which is a kind of emerging industry. There's also like lots of other alternative proteins like plant-based meat. You know, there's other people looking now to do like what they call precision fermentation, which is where you make like milk effectively, but you make it synthetically. So I think there's a lot of movement happening. I think the interesting thing will just be like how do consumers take this on? I think for some people there's probably a bit of a mental leap to make between buying, you know, what is now currently like an eye fillet in Coles or Woolies or your supermarket to buying a lab grown piece of meat. And, you know, that tech obviously needs to be commercialized and fine tuned a bit. I think plant-based meat could probably get a lot better than it is at the moment. I still think that there'll be a movement towards vegetarianism or towards, you know, alternative proteins. And we'll see that. I don't know if it will be half by 2025, but I think that trend will kind of still keep going upwards. So maybe that's like a yeah. 60 80% well,
0: one. Okay. Yeah. Like I think um, the industry has got a lot of heat just because of, the in many ways, the, the share price that's for Beyond Meat, like some of their sales are struggling. But you can kind of see this happening. Like there was always going to be new brands out there, new competition, a bit of consolidation in the sector. Yeah. You know, I, I still think I saw some UBS forecast that said it's still going to grow at like a 18% growth rate through the next, I think, the next decade. BCG, I think they expected it to be 11% of global retail sales by 2035, which is still like a huge market. Of yeah, They included all of dairy and meat. So as you said, precision fermentation, cell-based meats, it's really just up to consumers like you and me. But what I do know is it will be buying.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to test it out. <laughs> I'm going to try it. The other thing I think super fascinating about this space, which seems to be a little bit of a trend only in kind of alternative proteins, is just the amount of celebrities that are investing in these companies. Like they just seem to be jumping on board all these companies like Katy Perry's. And like you look at like cap tables of these companies, it's like Katy Perry's invested in one. I think Drake has one. I think mm. Oprah has invested yes. in one. They've all jumped on board this and it's quite an interesting, I guess, phenomenon. I, maybe it's just because food is very tangible and, you know, it's something you can like all relate to versus like other pieces of tech.
0: But Do you think it's a good sign or a bad sign?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. It's also like, yeah, is that is that fueling the hype maybe? Who knows? But, yeah.
0: Yeah, feeling the hype, but hey, they've got huge audiences to promote the product to and they'll be aligned. So hopefully it's a force for good.
1: I would like to be at a board meeting that has Katy Perry, Oprah and Drake sitting around a table though because that would just be (laughs) amusing. (laughs) So that was... All the existing predictions, and we'll keep them on foot, we'll keep checking in, keep seeing how confident we are on them and how wrong we are in Season 30 of A Positive Climate.
0: Yeah, see, season, 30, season 30 will just be a um, kind of a six-hour opus where we just run through our how accumulated we predictions. <laughs>
1: yeah. But do you have any new predictions that you want to add, Nick? I've got one. And I want, I want to caveat this with I don't want to have any more on the record.
0: (laughs) You're going to leave me out to dry. Um, I'm not going to give much explanation for this. Uh, I think we need to get onto other things, but my prediction, my big bold prediction of 2022 is that by 2030, there'll be more electricity running through Australia, Australian homes, coming from a car battery than a stationary battery in the home.
1: What you mean, Nick, is that instead of us using like a battery like a wall battery to power your home yep,
0: power Yep.
1: you actually using your car as the battery
0: yep vehicle to grid yeah i'm banking on vehicle to grid the scale of that increasing the costs coming down more so than what we've seen to make home batteries be a no-brainer decision for all australian c- consumers and the fact that we've got this bloody asset that's just sitting out in the driveway at the moment And it gets used 5% of the time, which means that 95% of the time it could be used to play that service.
1: And there's certainly like, there's trials of that going on at the moment. Like a few people are now trialing that to see how customers behave. I think that's the thing I've always wondered with that is, you know, will customers be okay with, I think if you could control the way that it draws energy from your car, that might be one thing. But if you've got a retailer who can call on that battery in your car when they might need excess, you know, energy in the grid. It would just be interesting to see if consumers can get over that barrier of like losing control potentially of an asset.
0: Totally. And I think these projects will help solve that or, or, or address that and see if there is a, a model there. But um, as an industry visionary said only recently, "There's 86 was months you? until 2030. <laughs> no, no, that was oh. you. 86 months exist until 2030.
1: I think I may have stolen that off someone.
0: But... <laughs> and I think, I think that there's time. But I think we can wrap up big predictions. Yep. I want to move on to a new section. Okay. A favourite section from last season. Uh, I think we call it our kookiest or weirdest or most intriguing startup ideas that we heard of all this year. Um, I'm going to throw over to you to go first.
1: Okay. So the most intriguing startup that I've heard about this year is, and it relates to baby formula Ooh. or or milk, like breast milk. At the moment, there's like well. In the past, there has been a baby formula shortage around the world. There's been lots of issues, particularly supply chains. At the moment, the baby formula market is a 45 billion dollar market globally, which is massive.
0: Yep. Okay. Mm.
1: And so, obviously, it plays a really important role in like developing children and you know making sure that there can be like the right nutrients that give get, gets given to babies. And so, there are a couple of startups now that similar to Val. Mm. they take cells, but they are taking mammary gland cells so breast cells, and effectively growing them to then make what is effectively like synthetic breast milk.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Which, like, I got told about this and I was like, what? (laughs) Which sort of just blows my mind. But apparently they have got it to the point where they can pull out, like, you know, correct kind of proteins so that it effectively is just as good as, like, a mother's milk. And so that just sort of blows my mind because I'm like, if we're at a point where you can do that, like, That's pretty amazing when it comes to cell-grown kind of cultured meat and, you know, other kind of lab, you know, alternative protein products. Obviously, this has a different application.
0: 100%.
1: You know, pretty interesting. So some of the companies that are doing it, there's one called Wilk, (laughs)
0: which is a good good name, I reckon. It's good. Uh, Yeah, 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 I'm paying Um, it, yeah.
1: So, yeah, there's a company called Wilk. There's another one called BioMilk, which is – With With a a Q. Q. It looks like it's with a Q. Um, And Bill Gates has invested in that. So, yeah, I think there's – and there's also a heap of them. Like, that's just two examples, a heap of other ones looking at this. But, yeah, super interesting space to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, but it's the argument there. It's evidence of just the crazy stuff that we can do to engineer – real you know effectively alike proteins and however on earth they're doing lab grown memory glands makes you think that they could also do lab grown meats at high efficiency
1: yeah and i also just have a lot of questions and like i tried to get a visual of what this is yeah and i couldn't okay. get one and i just maybe we'll email them nick i just want to know what this is in a lab like is this a wall of boobs or i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Nick, what's your weirdest, okay. kookiest, strangest idea?
0: Well, I'm just trying to remember. Last year we had potty training cows um, yes. to help them burp less. No, or something, no, it was think, about or... like
1: managing how they urinate and how that might impact. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. We we had pollination as a service to sort of help. Yeah,
1: for bees, very important
0: for bees. Yeah, I've got two this year to throw at you. I was actually one was in the Afr the other week. A company called Mrod. Now, what they do is wireless transmission. What? So, <laughs>
1: doesn't this yeah, like defy some they... like laws of?
0: We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Like the caveat on this whole thing is like there's been no due diligence done by oh, us. But in it's any in the way. AFR. It just it's just interesting. Yeah, it's in the AFR. The company claims that they can wirelessly send electricity hundreds of kilometers at eighty percent efficiency, at megawatt capacity. You know, you and I are kind of looking at each other over the screen, and our natural kind of um, skepticism is at play. Now, I, I don't. Want, we don't like to um, kind of uh, dunk on startups, and I'm not doing this here. I just want to make the point that I feel like the AFR was a bit skeptical themselves because they made sure they pointed out that the CEO lists himself as the co-founder of the psychic readings marketplace, Zodiac Psychics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, like obviously the U.S. Army at the moment is doing wireless energy transmission, and this would be an absolute game changer in everything we've been talking It'd about. It
1: would be pretty cool if you could get it to work. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's a bit one of those fanciful things that we don't always like to talk about on the podcast because it has to be real and the things that matter. But on that point, the next one.
1: Next one, what is it, Nick? I think it is real.
0: It, oh, it's definitely yeah. real. But when you first read about it, you're like, is, this Wow. Okay. So um, it's a company called Microtow. Um, They're based in Sydney and they specialize in mimetic technology. And what that means is they're applying technology from nature to, well, the real built world, right? And so their first product that they've raised capital for from some good investors, it's called shark fin like riblets. So it's kind of like a shark's fin, these little kind of nodules. And the first application could be, you could put this kind of coating all over planes. And what it could do is actually reduce the drag of those planes by up to 12%.
1: And make them more fuel efficient?
0: Absolutely, make them more fuel efficient. Now, you know, the ultimate goal absolutely will be to try and get planes to be fully decarbonized, But it's one of the hard to abate sectors is going to be, we have to admit, tens of years away before that really happens. And so it's like an actually a powerful trigger to reduce emissions in the near term and eventually make them more efficient. We still want to waste renewable energy later on. That was in the topic of my most intriguing startup idea.
1: I'm imagining like when you used to like contact your books for school. <laughs> <laughs> like is that what it is? Like yeah. you're putting like a contact thing on a plane that gives like a texture that therefore improves the drag?
0: Yeah. Well, look, you heard it here first. Here comes our request to Henry from Michael Teller. <laughs> We'd love to have you on the podcast <laughs> next year to answer that very question. We'll start with that.
1: Just on a similar vein to that, I heard um, last night when, we were, when all these people were talking about EVs, someone was saying that on the Teslas, like on the hub cap, there's like a separate additional hub that they put on, which apparently improves range by like something like 10% or something. So it's like a similar like aerodynamic thing that improves. Okay. And I found that quite amazing if that's true, that just simply like the design of a hub cap can Hmm. have that kind of material impact. So maybe, you know, if you can do that with just a hubcap, if you could have like a whole wrap, I'm sure it's far more sophisticated than me contacting my books back in high school, but we'll make sure we ask them. Or
0: or car hubcaps all over at 747. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: All right, well, anyway, moving from kooky startups to actually real real projects, (laughs) things that exist, things that actually got done this year. We thought we'd wrap up with our most interesting project or deal that was done in Australia this year in terms of clean tech. So, mm. Nick, what's your what's your pick?
0: Can I just agree that, make the point, Alex, that we just can't bring ourselves to say the words climate tech. We're still stuck in clean tech land. <laughs> Does that mean we're old school? I don't know. We've been around. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I actually think the, the best or most important deal or relevant deal of last year is actually ChargeFox, the electric vehicle charging network. Actually, sold the business to the um, sort of amalgamation of all the motoring clubs. Oh, yeah, and so it's been fertile ground. What's that ground- called? Uh, it's called uh, Australian Motoring Services. So it's oh, got, yeah, okay. you know, it's a BD. I was like, does it
1: have some super long acronym like NRMA RSC thing? <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, it's the entire alphabet. No, no, it's just AMS, right? <laughs> um, but look, electric vehicle charging networks all over the world. It's been fertile ground for them to sell to oil majors, right, like the shells of the world, et cetera. But in this case, they're sold to all the motoring clubs who are trying to you know, get themselves into the next you know phase of their businesses. But the main reason why I think this is relevant is that it's a climate tech exit, like a startup that started not that long ago. I'm going to wild guess from memory it was 2018 or so that they started. Uh, they've actually sold the business and made money and made an exit. I don't have the full details of what it was, but I think you know, all this news of – Capital raises occurring, we need to remember what the main aim of the game is. Obviously, create great products, have a profitable business, employ startups. But in the venture capital model, you're trying to find a way for actually founders to monetize what they've built and exit. And I think it's like a really important landmark because I don't have too many others in my mind that sold for more than what was raised um and it was profitable in the market so i, I think it's i think it's big new, it was big news yeah
1: yeah awesome yeah and like you said there's not many examples of that so far so you know mm. good to have this more success stories in the bank
0: yeah and, and what about yours like can i make a wild guess that it has something to do with the project that made you a global social media sensation <laughs> mainly, mainly on linkedin
1: my sister called me the other day and she was like, wow, your LinkedIn post is doing really well. And I was like, all right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't about the podcast. (laughs) No,
1: but it was about a project that got done this year, which was... A project in Western Australia in the Pilbara. And so, in the Pilbara in Australia, there's a, an ammonia facility that's run by Yara Fertilizers. And it's the biggest ammonia facility in Australia. And ammonia is really used to make fertilizers and also some explosives that get used in mining and not mining just for coal, but mining for all the other kind of materials that we actually need for the transition. But fertilizer is a really important thing and it's something that we need to decarbonize because. You know, we're still going to need to grow all our kind of crops and food that we're going to need for the future. And ammonia as an industry produces about 2% of global emissions, so it's similar to aviation. It's, you know, it's a big chunk and it's definitely worth looking at that. And so you make ammonia using hydrogen. And so my project that I'm picking is the project with Onji, who are deploying the first ever 10 megawatt electrolyzer in australia which for context is not a massive electrolyzer but it's 10 times bigger than the current biggest one we have yeah, so okay. it's a yeah. massive step up and it will then feed it will create completely you know zero emissions hydrogen that then gets fed into this facility to create ammonia that can then be completely decarbonized, And so, you know, it will only at the moment create a very small percentage of what is, you know, completely renewable ammonia in that facility for fertiliser. But it's, you know, step one in basically getting to a future where we can have, you know, our entire fertiliser chain kind of decarbonized. So I think that's really important and I think it's super exciting because we're going to need to keep, as I was saying, we all need to eat, so it's something that we need to look at.
0: <laughs> but I, I, know, I know we've already done our prediction section, but just to ask you and your crystal ball on this, like that's step one, this gets done, you know, it's going to get built, I imagine, over a few years. We talked about that before. All these things don't just magically pop up. What might step two look like? Like, and when might that be? Like, what what might the next step up be?
1: I think it could happen pretty quickly. So like for another example is in Brisbane, there is another ammonia facility at Gibson Island and that a company called Insitec Pivot Run. And they have just announced along with Twiggy Fortescue, they're just going straight to 100% decarbonisation. They're not wow. doing an interim step. They're just going all in. So I do think that, you know, I think the lessons that get learnt from the Yara project in WA will be really critical for allowing other parts of industry to learn from it. But I think that there is a future where you could almost have very big step-ups in that decarbonisation journey for ammonia. I don't know if it will be like a linear kind of gradual kind of decarbonisation. It might be almost like, you know, you do 1%, you do 10%, and then you do 100% or something like that.
0: We'll look out for that. Two amongst many interesting projects and deals that happen this year. We're going to move to wrap up, Alex. Did you have a favourite moment from this year?
1: Oh, this is always a hard one. <laughs> you got to cast your mind back. <laughs>
0: how could you pick one of your own children?
1: (laughs) Do you, Nick? What's yours?
0: Mine would be the pitch fest. Uh, Like, I think we had Energy Lab on in the last episode. You can check it out. We had 10 startups, speed round. You know, I'm sure we'll do it again. But I just thought that, you know, I think I first started working in the sector in 2013 and it's been a huge evolution of the quantity and quality of startups and how they can share their vision. And they were early stage companies and I kind of found them all pretty interesting and eloquent about how they could, Talk about where they fit in, what problem they're solving, and where they're going from there. So, like, I thought that was uh, my, my favorite by far. Yep. Not by far, not by far. Uh, just mildly just a on, bit. All, mildly <laughs> on all of our other eight guests, or so. Yeah.
1: And I guess if I have to pick one. I really like the PV Industries guys. So they're the, they were the guys that are actually looking at how you can recycle solar panels, which I think, you know, is obviously an emerging area and is going to continue to grow as, you know, all the solar panels we currently have installed are going to age and need to be replaced. So I think it's super interesting to see that we've had an industry that's been developed and we've put all this effort into getting solar out there, but now we've actually got people looking at solutions to recycling stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Alex, we've come to the end. The very end of our wrap-up episode. The very end of season three. I've loved doing this with you like I have the previous two seasons. <laughs> um, you, maybe we might even get our first episode recorded in the same place next year. You never know. Yeah. yeah. We've got a lot planned uh, for next year, everyone. So I think we said before we're doing the Australian startup season to start up next year, be sometime that's called February, March time. If you don't want to miss it, make sure you go on our website, sign up to our mailing list. You can shoot us an email if you have suggestions about the companies that you think might be great to feature. And you can follow us on the socials and see what Alex and I get up to uh, over our Christmas breaks.
1: (laughs) And on that note.
0: Thanks very much, everyone. We'll uh, speak to you next year.
1: That's a wrap. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of A Positive Climate. Check out the show notes of this episode if you'd like to know more about today's guest. Also, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn for further details. And
0: if you want to help us out even more, feel free to give us a rating and hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you know any other fantastic companies you think we should feature, feel free to send us an email at hello at positiveclimate.com.